Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. After a brief bump during the early stages of the pandemic, birth rates in Michigan are falling at alarming rates. But why? And why are some economists concerned? University of Michigan economist Don Grimes joins the show to discuss the potential economic impact of our declining population. Then we'll take a look at the state of RSV and COVID in Michigan with infectious disease expert Dr. Matthew Sims. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. to Detroit Today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. For many, the people nearest to us mean everything. They provide us with hope and joy. They inspire us to do better and to do more. And sure, they provoke us and cause us harm and pain. But without them, there's little we can do. In cities, states, and nations, people are crucial. Often referred to as human capital by scholars, people are the engines for economic prosperity. Most economists believe that more people living and working in our towns and cities, the more likely we are all better off because of the innovation, activity, and capital swirling about from all of that work. This is probably why population declines scare cities and state planners. When people leave and there aren't more people to replace them, tax bases decline, schools often get worse, and job opportunities become much more scarce. That's certainly been true here in Detroit, and it's also a trend in much of Michigan. Michigan's population is aging. Many young people are moving away, and the number of people having kids is dropping year over year, according to the latest numbers from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Later in the hour, we're going to talk about COVID and RSV and discuss the way these things are affecting the health of Michigan's population. But before we get there, we have some questions about population declines and slowing population growth. What does all this mean for Michigan's economy? What does it mean for Michiganders already living here? And is there anything positive about a declining population? And if not, what can we do to reverse this trend? Here to talk about this is Donald Grimes, a regional economic specialist at the University of Michigan. He's been looking at population changes in Michigan and how that impacts its economy. Don, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. So before we get into what's happening in terms of Michigan loss, I just want to figure out from the outset, uh, why is it so important to track this? Why do we want more people, uh, especially in cities and states and populations to grow? Well, uh, you know, most people, uh, at least between the ages of uh, 20 and uh, 65, are uh, are working, um, or or if they're unemployed, they're mostly looking for work. Um, and so, in order to have a uh, growing uh, workforce, uh, we need more people. Um, and if you 
um, don't have a, a growing workforce, it's it becomes very hard for employers to find workers. So if you want uh, if you want to add jobs, uh, you need more people. All right, we're going to unpack that a little bit later on. But in terms of what the population loss and decline is looking like in Michigan, can you tell us what the numbers and the data bear out? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, since uh, we sort of peaked in 2019, and then because of COVID, uh, we have lost population in 2020 and 2021. Um, we think the state will also lose population in 2022, um, and then begin growing slowly in 2023 and and uh, and 2024 as uh, the impact of COVID sort of dissipates. But the growth in Michigan, um, as you grow from uh, 2024 to 2045, um, will be fairly slow, uh, roughly a third of the rate uh, of population growth that we'll see in the country overall. And then after about 2045, we think the population in Michigan will begin to decline. Oh, and um, in terms of how this will uh, have an effect on uh, Michigan, you did mention that it's happening at a slower rate than um, than uh, other states. Uh, what does that do in terms of uh, competitive balance, in terms of what we can do for Michigan's economy? Do we have any data or any specific information that you can point to that gives an example of how that can harm us? Well, uh, the politicians will probably be... Uh reallocating a smaller congressional delegation as we go forward. Right. We already um, so had that happen have, once, right? <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, uh, guaranteed. I mean, we'll continue to uh, lose congressional seats relative to the country. And that, you know, indicates that Michigan will be uh, less powerful um, uh, politically um, in, in Washington. Um, you know, then also uh, as, as, you know, as a smaller state, um, uh, in, in some sense, that makes it uh, less attractive to, uh, you know, uh, corporations to locate big uh, uh, production activity or headquarters activity in the state of Michigan. They worry about that they'll be able to find workers. Um, you know, so there, there are lots of problems that way. Of course, it'll uh, uh, probably put a damper on uh, house price increases uh, because if you have smaller population uh, and then eventually declining population, you'll have uh, smaller households. Um, a lot of the federal money is tied that comes into the state is tied to your population. So we'll get uh, less federal money relative to other states. So there's a lot of uh, downside um, economically to, to having uh, slow and, and then declining population. We're speaking with Don Grimes, who's a regional economic specialist at the University of Michigan, talking about Michigan's population changes, slow growth, and potentially declining population in 2045. As you just mentioned, Don, why is this happening here? Well, um, you know, population growth comes from uh, three factors, really. Um, first is uh, what, what's called natural population growth. That's the uh, difference between births and deaths in a state. Um, secondly, uh, a state will uh, attract international migrants, uh, uh, both legal and illegal migrants. They, they get counted in the census data. And then the third is the uh, what, what is called domestic migration, where people who are already residents of, of the United States, uh, you know, basically move to determine where they want to live. 
Um, Michigan is uh, uh, getting a relatively uh, small number of international migrants compared to the country as a whole. Um, we get about 2% of the international migrants in the U.S. Uh, Michigan suffers a, a net domestic population outmigration as people who are you know, at or near retirement age uh, leave uh, to a generally a warmer climate. And also then people who are younger uh, in the workforce tend to leave uh, to find uh, better employment opportunities. Um, you know, that's very common for uh, college graduates to, to, to move to another, another state. And uh, finally, um, um, we have births minus, uh, minus deaths or natural population growth. And right now that's running at a positive or will be running at a positive about 18,000 in 2024 when we get past COVID. I mean, right now we've got more deaths than births. That's temporary because of COVID. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll get to a positive number in 2024. And that's a real you know, source of growth. But that drastically changes over time. By about 2040, we think there'll be more deaths in Michigan than there are births. And uh, that uh, excess of deaths over birth grows over the rest of the 2040s. And that is what really drives Michigan's population to a negative uh, growth rate after 2045. Now, a pretty bleak outlook there, Don. But if I'm looking at this selfishly, I could see someone saying, well, wait a second. Uh, you know, we had issues in terms of uh, job growth uh, in the economy here. Fewer people would mean more opportunity for jobs, maybe uh, less people on the road so I can have personally a better experience on the freeway, uh, maybe more opportunities for me to find better jobs. And if I have a better job and I'm more secure, more likely to have kids, then the economy grows and other people will want to be in a place that has such a good economy. Why doesn't that model work? Well, I mean, uh, uh, maybe that's true, but uh, you know, generally people... Um, you know, uh, prefer growth as opposed to uh, no growth. I mean, it definitely will help wages uh, when you have a tight labor force. Um, wages tend to go up. Um, I mean, I was listening to your previous discussion of the uh, increasing in the minimum wage and uh, increasing in the minimum wage is almost a redundant uh, now right. uh, for the most of the country and, and certainly most of Michigan because, you know, wages have gone up so much because we don't have enough workers. Um, and, and that'll continue. So uh, the tight labor market will uh, uh, help uh, uh, increase wages. So that's a positive sign of it. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's offset in some cases by also higher inflation. So it doesn't mean you'll get a real wage. Your nominal wage may go up, but you may lose that uh gain uh, through higher inflation, which again comes about through shortages. All right. We're speaking again with Don Grimes, regional economic specialist at the University of Michigan, who's been looking at population changes in Michigan and how it impacts uh, our economy here. But we also want to speak with you. Phone number here is 313-577-1019. What do you make of Michigan's declining population? What do you think we can do to encourage people to have kids? And do you think population decline is a good thing or a bad thing? If it's bad, how do we slow it down and reverse the trend? Uh, and if it's good, why do you think it is a good thing? 
give us a call again, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Don, I do have some questions that have come in. Uh, One thing we wanted to ask about is with this declining population, one thing that we're having issues with is housing availability. Again, uh, could there be any kind of offset by uh, having an ability for people to now get more affordable housing by having fewer people in the state? Um, yeah, I mean, that'll reduce the, uh, the demand for housing, but uh, the real solution to our housing affordability problem is we're going to have to build uh, build more houses. And of course, uh, the uh, uh, geographic location of the housing stock uh, matters a great deal and, and, and the population gain or loss. Mm-hmm. And um, much of the population uh, loss is going to occur in in the more rural counties in Michigan. Uh, most of the counties we think will actually have a smaller population in 2050 than they did in 2020. Uh, but those are mostly small uh, counties, rural counties, and so you know it, the the fact that there's excess housing stock in those uh, uh, p- counties where where people really don't want to. Uh, live to some extent, you know, that's not going to help solve the housing crisis in Southeast Michigan or in the Grand Rapids area. Right, right. We do have a comment from RZS on Twitter, a question. He asks, uh, what about uh, Michigan's as a great source of fresh water? Won't this attract corporations and ultimately more population? So cities near the water will grow as a result of access to that resource. You spoke just a moment ago about location. Uh, is that something that we could factor in? Could that help offset things, or could we use that to our advantage? Yeah, it's a it's a great uh, I potential gain, but uh, unfortunately, we don't have anything that allows us to quantify uh, the number of people who are going to. Uh, uh, move to Michigan uh, because we have all this, these water resources. Right. Um, you know, it, it, that will have to be uh, balanced by the uh, uh, weather, uh, which seems to drive people to warmer climates still. Um, but the other uh, aspect, I guess, is that if we're going to uh, uh, to use water as a resource to attract population, especially the Great Lakes, we're going to have to make sure that the Great Lakes are uh, pristine in terms of their uh, environmental uh, cleanup. So uh, the Great Lakes Restoration Act and all of the efforts to uh, to ensure that all of our uh, Great Lakes communities uh, are really in good shape is, is really important if we're going to do that. Um, and so that would be my one recommendation is we should we should make sure that the Great Lakes uh, are potentially attractive in case that uh, movement uh, comes about. Right, right. And like I said, we do have calls coming up right now. And I want to get to some of your calls as we continue our conversation with Don Grimes, economist out of the University of Michigan. And we're going to start off with Sean in Detroit. Sean, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, uh, I'm a millennial, a parent of now three kids, had twins in August. Congratulations. And I want to kind of bring into the conversation around yeah, kind of congratulations, but um, you know, kids are kids are very expensive. Um, our, our child care payment is significantly more than our mortgage payment is in Detroit. Um, I just also feel like the growth of wages from my my parents' generation to our generation hasn't really kept up with the increasing costs, especially of child care. And so I can see like it's 
obviously kids are great and very happy to have our kids, but it certainly it feels like an economic challenge for us to maintain kids. And it was a big question when we were having our second, now third kid uh, with the twins. And I just want to kind of add that to the conversation around the considerations people have around starting a family. It, you have to do it a lot later in life, and it's, it's much more expensive and, and kind of a bigger, bigger uh, pill to swallow. Yeah, I think that we do see those trends uh, here in Michigan especially, but also nationwide. As the caller uh, just mentioned there, Sean just mentioned, uh, Don, is incentivizing childbirth or childcare, making it not as expensive to raise children, how could that factor in as a potential solution to this issue? Well, um, uh, the problem is, is it's, uh, we have a very, you know, uh, people have, are, are in childbearing age, you know, really up to maybe, you know, 35 uh, years old. So the real question is, is um, do you, how many people do you have that are, you know, between 20 and, and 35 years old? And uh, that's uh, pretty stagnant or, or in declining. And so the, the and uh, and then at the other end, you have a lot of people who are 65 and, and older, and that population is growing very fast. So it's not just an issue of people, you know, choosing to have children or not, although that that is clearly we're having smaller and smaller families um, uh, over time. But it's also whether or not you have people of child uh, barren age, um, as opposed to having a, a, a large senior population, and that uh, creates a... Uh, uh, a problem of, of generating enough kids just because you don't have yeah. enough ki- people of childbearing age. Yeah, certainly. And I understand that. But uh, I suspect uh, Sean would mention or others would mention that to raise a child here in Michigan may seem more expensive. One of the incentives to leave the state or go somewhere else would be that it's more affordable. So could having policies, child tax earned, uh, child tax credit, things like that uh, have an impact on that? Are there any uh, solutions related to that that you've seen that could help? You know, I mean, it, it's obviously uh, a, a consideration for people when they when they form their families as to whether or not uh, you know, how expensive a, a child is uh, to raise. And uh, that clearly matters. Um, and and um, so, yeah, anything we could uh, do to make it uh, less um, uh, expensive. But, yeah, you know, even if you look at European countries, which have uh, much more generous uh, family policies, they're, they're suffering, uh, from a shortage of, of young people as well. So, uh, that'll help, but I think the, um, the sort of, uh, decisions to have smaller families, um, tend to exceed the financial, uh, issue. Right. It seems to be more of a sociological. And of course, then you have fewer people of childbearing age. So Certainly. it would help, but I don't think that's a solution. Gotcha. Uh, Sean in Detroit, again, thank you so much for your call and joining to the conversation as we move now to Jody in Detroit. Jody, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, yeah. I mean, I moved to Detroit from Los Angeles in January of 2020. Um, and I was, I, I accidentally won an auction for a thousand dollar house online is how I ended up here. Um, and then, you know, I started looking at the global warming data modeling that, you know, that's out there. And in like 10 years, the whole left coast into Texas is on fire year round. And then you look at the little green mitten, just, you know, happy up there surrounded by water. And I got to say, that was a huge motivation. Yeah. I can wash my car again. I can have <laughs> a lawn without someone yelling at me. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I don't know, like people ask me all the time, why did you come here? And I'm like, you have all the water in the world. 
Um, and then, and then the next question is, well, what about the weather? And I don't know. I don't find the weather here that terrible. Just put on some more clothes. I don't know. Um, so, and then, you know, I'm not, I don't have kids. Um, but I, you know, I have a lot of friends with children back on, in California and, and they're very tempted to come out here because of affordable housing. And then I don't know if this is a rumor or if it's true, but I, I think I heard that if you're, kids graduates from a high school in Detroit they get some kind of credit to go to college that is and accurate. that is very interesting to them so I don't know I, I really enjoyed living here I I mean I've even started a little show about living here um, and and you know kind of discovering all the magical things that exist here in Michigan all right well we can get the ads going with you and the state of Michigan put you in <laughs> touch with them to uh, have some successful pitches bring out some people from the left coast but uh, I present the uh, Jody's uh, statements to you, uh, Don. Have you heard anything about that in terms of increasing our population by stealing people from other states? Well, I mean, uh, uh, obviously that would be beneficial to Michigan. Uh, but uh, actually, the, the place where we might uh, benefit the most would be to increase international migration. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, because of those are people who are moving to the United States, they just have to decide where they're going to live as opposed to somebody who's already, you know, located in a different uh, state and then has to uproot and make the you know, big decision of, of moving. And, and uh, you know, that's an expensive uh, proposition. So uh, um, uh, one of the things that might work uh, to Michigan's great uh, benefit is to increase international migration uh, uh, which to the state. And one thing to keep in mind about international migrants is that we actually have a, a, a very well-educated uh, and very skilled uh, international migration, uh, migrant population. Uh, they're actually much better educated in uh, Michigan than the uh, uh, native born uh, population. So if we could attract more international migrants, uh, that might, uh, be an easier way to to grow the population than uh, uh, than trying to uh, generate more births or uh, uh, or uh, attract you know, attract right, people. Right, right. Of course, the other aspect is to keep people uh, from leaving. So uh, um, I, I would do anything we could to encourage people when uh, when they graduate from college, in particular, uh, to really consider an employer in the state of Michigan. And I would certainly hope that Michigan employers can uh, establish a better uh, uh, effort to reach, uh, you know, college graduates as they were graduating, maybe get them in as interns, you know, during their senior year, junior or senior year, uh, anything to keep uh, college students from, uh, from relocating yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, very thought-provoking uh, conversation we're having right now with Donald Grimes, University of Michigan Regional Economic Specialist. And uh, when we return, we're going to have David in Royal Oak as well as Elena in Detroit to contribute to this conversation as we continue discussing Michigan's declining population as well as some solutions here on Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station.
on to 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson discussing birth declining, uh, the declining birth rate and population decline, as well as the future consequences of it and potential solutions here in Michigan with regional economic specialist at the University of Michigan, Donald Grimes. We're going to go to your calls in just a moment, but we have some good comments on Twitter that I want to uh, include, including name who says growth has never been equitable. We are innovative and can find ways to make population decline efficient and fairer for everyone. We also have Big Neo on Twitter who says, want more kids? Create universal health care, universal child care, world-class public schools, regardless of zip code, and job placement centers for graduates. Do that, folks will have more kids. Uh, good point and perspective there from Big Neo. I think if you want to increase Michigan's population, you just need more people to listen to my Quiet Storm episodes of Soul Saturday at 8 p.m. on Saturday nights here at 101.9 WDET when I put on the sexy voice. But right now we're talking about the population decline here in Michigan, and I want to include the voice of David in Royal Oak. David, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. There are three or four different things that I see that are imperative to the growth. Uh, one is uh, more and better mass transit. Okay. What that is- goes, oh, go ahead. That goes everywhere from uh, buses. Uh, there was something on just a while ago about building more shelters and making buses more, uh, uh, you know, uh, efficacious, you know, and also, uh, that echoes for trains, trolleys, maybe even a subway, a way for people to get to work and more and better affordable housing. Uh, you know, kicking people out that used to live in a neighborhood, uh, and replacing them with people uh, that could afford the newer, uh, more expensive. Uh, sure. The, mind, mind, uh, better housing. Yeah, how, how, how housing in the uh, area, affordable housing, mass transit, perhaps more manufacturing. And David, I do uh, appreciate your points. I don't know. It sounds... There are other concerns would be kicking people out of their homes uh, and replacing them with more uh, people that can afford them. But I will state that to the extent that uh, we've already discussed a solution related to potentially immigration, uh, I want to ask you, uh, Donald Grimes, uh, is, are there things that Michigan can do to make itself more of a place where immigrants might, international immigrants might be more interested in arriving at to help increase our population? Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, uh, uh, any simple, uh, approaches just to be, uh, you know, uh, Michigan has a policy actually, uh, governor Snyder was actually, uh, well recognized, uh, the importance of international migrants and, uh, and, you know, uh, I hope that that uh, continues as there was a push uh, under president Trump to, um, to really demonize uh, international migrants. And um, uh, th- that was unfortunate because uh, we really do need them yeah. uh, to grow our population and to grow our workforce. And, uh, you know, that the so just this whole idea that a recognition that uh, international migrants 
have historically been extremely important to the uh, prosperity of the United States. And uh, even in Michigan, if you go back uh, you know, 100 years, it was international migrants that was were really growing the state. And then uh, migrants from the South um, in response to the growth of the uh, auto industry. Uh, my own father actually migrated from Tennessee to Detroit uh, uh, in the 1950s. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there, were, there was a, a, a huge movement uh, for, uh, in response to our uh, economic prosperity. So, um, you know, that's, you know, uh, I think international migrants, uh, just to become a more welcoming place, uh, just to continue to make sure that Michigan is an economically uh, prosperous state, um, to grow uh, uh, the economy, um, you know, to, uh, and and really to uh, to get into those uh, college students uh, before they uh, graduate and start, uh, you know, moving to Chicago or Denver or San Francisco, and and make sure that uh, uh, that that they consider uh, staying in right. Michigan after right. uh, after college. I think that would really be helpful. That's right. Two big points. You mentioned international immigration and keeping our own here in the state. College graduates, no more brain drain from Michigan, but happy to include right now Elena in Detroit with the conversation. Elena, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to mention a few things that I think really contribute to making life so hard here for young people. One of them is that the wages are so low. Two is the tax on pensions so that people inheriting get far less. People have lost homes in such exponential rates here in Detroit that there isn't a family home that people can stay in. And the other big question is why do other countries have people that are educated when we can't do that here? It's because of student debt and the lack of access to decent education. All of these things are, of course, really important on class and race. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elena, for your points. I present that to you, Don, in terms of uh, student debt in Michigan. Anything that we can do or any impact that you've seen in your research and uh, studies? You know, um, uh, I was listening to how uh, uh, General Motors, I think, was going to create a fund to try to uh, 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 interest people in information technology uh, careers. Uh, and, And I think that's you know, uh, a good answer. But one of the things that occurred to me is I'm sitting there thinking, uh, you know, it would be really, really nice if General Motors offered a scholarship and an uh, internship program to anybody who's going to college and and working in IT. I mean, they are going to, all the auto companies are, are going to need information technology workers, uh, computer programmers and such, if they're, as they try to make this transition to electric vehicles. And uh, uh, they need to really do a much better job of uh, reaching out to, to people um, in those occupations and the potential occupations as they're getting trained in colleges. We, we're going to be in a world of hurt if, if, uh, if we can't uh, keep those uh, computer programmers and engineers and designers uh, in Michigan um, to help that auto industry make a transition to electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, that's really, really important. Right, right. Thanks again, Elena in Detroit, for your call and points. As uh, we have more calls, going to move to John and Eastside in just a moment. Before I do that, though, Tonka on Twitter says, I think the infrastructure in Detroit and possibly Michigan needs to be in place to, in order to sustain a larger population. There's been multiple accounts with police being corrupt and always hearing about the terrible housing in the city. 
city, if there were more opportunities for residents to live in uh, proper housing and affordable uh, housing, I think people would feel comfortable enough to actually begin a family in the city of Detroit and stay in Michigan. The city has so much to offer and there's continuous growth every year. So Tonka's uh, opinions there on Twitter. Uh, thanks for presenting those to us as we move right now, as I mentioned, to John on the east side. John, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. It's a great conversation. Uh, you know, uh, down here in Jefferson Chalmers, we meet people all the time at community events that have moved from Chicago, from L.A., from New York for affordable housing. Uh, they just can't afford those areas anymore. So I, I see us as with the, the natural disasters, the wildfires, the hurricanes, the mudslides and everything else. A lot of people see this as a really great place. And I think that... Uh, you know, watching all the news about the buses going from the southern border up to New York, why not uh, invite some some of our immigrants uh, to to come here? We have so much vacant land. And on that note, I think the, we should have a balance of uh, the, the urban sprawl should end. I think that they should repopulate the major cities like Pontiac, Mount Clemens, Detroit, Flint, and stop, uh, the, you know, bulldozing more uh, natural land for housing and just uh, utilize what we have here. All right on. Thank you so much, John, again from the east side with your call. And I present his points to you. Now, Don, do you have any response to uh, John from the east side? Yeah, maybe. Uh Governor Whitmer could get, uh, uh, was it Governor Abbott in Texas to divert some of those flights to Michigan, um, <laughs> you know, when they, when they are buses. Um, so maybe that's a good idea. Tell them we'll take them. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, the, uh, but I think that the idea that was sort of implicit in some of the comments that, uh, that we really need to have uh, uh, better public amenities, um, you know, would, would really be useful. And, and that involves a lot of capital expenditure. You could talk about roads and parks and, uh, you know, public access to the Great Lakes. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, state government, uh, you know, has, has basically got a, uh, a pretty good uh, hefty surplus over the last few years because of uh, uh, COVID relief funding from the federal government at the, and uh, relatively large uh, uh, tax payments um, over the last couple of years. So maybe they should... Uh, look at it, uh, making sure that we've got uh, uh, enhanced uh, public amenities, yeah. uh, you know, public facilities built, capital capital expenditures, and that might uh, might help attract uh, new residents in the future. Yeah, Don, it, it, was, it was a cruel stunt that those governors in uh, some of those states ahead of the election, Florida and Texas, pulled by uh, just uprooting people, uh, immigrants, and uh, just putting them on buses under subterfuge to go to other places. Cruel stunt. However, I think the sentiment is there, uh, you know, people, uh, we, we would accept people with open arms to, and they would help out uh, our declining population, as you have mentioned, as we move right now to uh, Matt in Dearborn. Matt, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Uh, I don't see how the population going down hurts anything. And in, in that, you know, we just had 8 billion people. They just rung up 8 billion. I mean. I mean, and you, you seem to also be talking from the business point of view, you know, always the business. But, I mean, is it really hurting anything going down? I don't think it is. 
I mean, GM complains, but they'll get they'll find workers, pay them more money. What's the matter with that? And yet you said there's more inflation. Well, all I got to do is charge a little. Uh, I don't know. That's my take on it. Hey, appreciate your take. Appreciate a little bit of pushback. I'll present it to you, Don, to respond to Matt and Dearborn's uh, uh, pushback. Well, I mean, you, I mean, your eight billion is a worldwide population, and uh, uh, one of the problems with the population growth is that it, it's occurring in uh, less prosperous parts of the world, um, in Africa, in uh, India, and Southeast Asia. Um, you know, and, and those places, uh, you know, are are not as prosperous as Europe or the United States, Japan, um, and so the. Uh, you sort of have a misallocation of where the population growth is occurring um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, they're going to have struggle in, in Africa and Southeast Asia in terms of just, you know, providing very basic uh, services to their population, including food. Whereas uh, where, where population is uh, uh, not adequate or the potential population is not adequate as in, uh, you know, Europe and the United States. And you can't, you know, just count uh, the population. Part of the problem in the United States, in Michigan, um, is that uh, we're getting older. And so, uh, you know, unless the older population, uh, you know, continues to work past, you know, 65 and normal retirement age, um, we're, we're just going to be, we're not going to have enough people to provide services uh, to those uh, uh, elderly and children who are not, who are not working. Um, you know, that, and, and that's not just going to be, you know, not just going to be solved with, with higher wages. You actually do need more bodies to provide those, uh, those, those services to those, to that population, to yeah. the growing population group of elderly. Yeah. What I'm hearing is our, uh, our economy, our area could support more people and it would be beneficial to us all economically and socially. If we had more people, perhaps we can do that by, uh, having uh, more immigration as uh, international immigration as having better policy for uh, retaining our own college graduates. Uh, Donald Grimes, thank you so much for joining us for this very thoughtful conversation on a point that I don't think we get to dive into enough here. Thanks again for joining us. You're welcome. And I enjoyed the conversation. You guys had a lot of callers. You helped out with that. Thanks so much. And (laughs) when we return here on 1019 WDET in Detroit today, we're going to continue talking about uh, Michigan's population, but this time with a focus on the health and well-being of our citizens as we check in with a infectious disease expert about how COVID and RSV are trending in the state. We'll return with Detroit Today on those topics next. WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson and so glad you could join us for our conversations today. While some are still concerned about COVID, there is another virus that has been hitting Michiganders hard. RSV or the respiratory syncytial virus has been hitting infants particularly, particularly hard and it's causing problems for hospitals in the state. 
to talk more about the spread of RSV, what it means for all of us, and what kinds of precautions to take against it. Here with us is Dr. Matthew Sims. He is the Director of Infectious Disease Research at Corwell Health East, formerly Beaumont Hospital. Dr. Sims, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Happy to be here. I want to get to RSV, as I mentioned, but first, uh, where are we right now with COVID? Uh, How is it impacting patients and hospitals here in the state? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We have been incredibly stable with our COVID numbers since about July. Um, We at at Corwell Health East, you know, um, in our eight hospitals, um, we've averaged right around 200 patients admitted since July hasn't gone up or down very much. Um, you know, it maybe went as low as 180, maybe went as high as uh, 300 at one point. Um, but but really, it's it's hovering right around you know 200, 220, somewhere in that range. Um, <clears throat> and you know, some of those patients are actually sick with COVID and admitted for that reason. Some of those patients come in for other reasons, they had a heart attack, they had a car accident, they fell down, um, and just incidentally test positive for COVID. Mm. Now, out of those incidental positives, some of them are true asymptomatic or very low symptomatic patients who have COVID, and some of them are people who had COVID a month ago or more, and are just still testing positive. Um, and we do our best to sort of separate that out. Um, but it has an impact on the hospital because all of those patients go into isolation, all of the people taking care of them have to go in wearing N95 masks and gown and glove and all this. It, it, it definitely impacts the flow of the hospital. Certainly, certainly. And, and speaking of uh, COVID, for I hear from a lot of people who are vaccinated still wanting to make sure, do, do I need to get another booster or am I mostly okay? For, for those who are out there vaccinated, maybe had one or two boosters, what kind of precautions should they be taking? What recommendations would you have yeah. for those folks? Well, everybody, everybody should stay up to date on their vaccine. Um, I've gotten five shots so far. Okay. Um, you know, and, and as soon as they say, go get the sixth one, I'll go get the sixth one. Um, do we know what interval that's at? Like, uh, how often you, you should know, be getting that? It's probably going to be about six months right now. Um, the hope is that at some point we will, you know, we'll get a stable immunity, um, that will last longer and maybe we can go out to month to yearly, kind of like with the flu vaccine. Um, or maybe even beyond that, there's new studies being done. This I, I, I just read an article that said there are 135 new COVID vaccines in development, and a lot of them are meant to give better immunity. Um, and I read another article which was talking about using the, the vaccines we have and then supplementing them with intranasal um exposure yeah. uh, in order to give you what's called mucosal immunity, pre- actually prevent it from invading the tissues. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a really interesting thing. That's early sort of research right now. Um, but, you know, it may, it may end up being what we need to do. Yeah. We really do need to get some level of mucosal immunity if we're going to stop the spread. Certainly, certainly. Thanks for that information. As I did mention, want to turn to RSV to make sure, for those of us who might not be as familiar with it, uh, learn a little bit more about it. What is this virus and why is it hitting infants and children so hard? Yeah, so uh, RSV is a common winter virus. Um, 
it you know goes with flu and whatnot. It's always affected children uh, more than, especially premature infants. That that was the real um, the real target, so to speak, of RSV. Um, the ones who got hit the hardest, but even young young children. Um, and then we learned over time that it wasn't just young children; that adults, especially the elderly. Uh, get infected by it uh, a lot, and uh, people who already have lung problems get affected by it a lot. Um, and, you know, it's always there. Um, but when COVID hit and people were masking and people weren't being exposed to each other as much, RSV and flu, as you probably remember, dropped to almost nothing um, while we were dealing with COVID in 2020 and 2021. Um, really in 2021, we re- expected it to come back and it did a little bit, but nowhere near the numbers we usually saw. In fact, looking at, I'm just looking at our 2021 numbers for flu. Uh, I mean, it was almost nothing. The entire season from October to November in, in all of Beaumont, we had, you know, 30, 40 cases and in adults and maybe 15 or 20 in kids. Um, and then RSV, it was a bit more, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but still nowhere near the numbers that we're seeing this year, and I think, or, or that we see in a normal year. And I think what's happened is because there was less exposure over the last few years, respiratory viruses like COVID, you don't get long long term immunity. You get some protection that lasts for a while, but you know, every year the virus changes a little. Every year. You know, you kind of have to get exposed and build your antibodies up again. So you have some memory that that can get triggered. And I think over the last two to three years, with the precautions we took for COVID, um, that there was less exposure. And so now that there's more exposure again, kids are getting hit harder than they were previously. Adults are getting hit harder than they were previously. Mm. And we're getting more cases and more serious cases. Right. We're speaking with Dr. Matthew Sims, the Director of Infectious Disease Research at Corwell Health East. And doctor, I think one of the reasons people have concerns about this, you know, I've seen reporting that Michigan hospitals have been appealing for more beds to manage an RSV surge. Why are hospitals at such a high capacity uh, when it comes to this? Yeah, as I said, we're, we're just having so much larger numbers than we usually have in the years prior to COVID. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're at least two to three times as many cases, might be more. I don't know the exact, um, the exact breakdown from, from before, but I know that like our pediatric ICUs were full, our pediatric beds were full. We were starting to convert adult ICUs into pediatric. Fortunately, over the last few weeks, the numbers have started to come down for RSV, but now they're going up for flu. Yeah. And how is the flu doing in Michigan right now? It's getting bigger. Um, You know, in the southern states where it hits first, they've been setting records, Um, you know, um, more cases than in the last, you know, 20 years or something like that. Um, We're starting to hit high numbers um, in the last week, um, so the week of the 21st to the 27th uh, across our system. We've had about, uh, you know, a little over 150 adult cases treated inpatient or in the emergency room and about 180 children mm. in the same time frame. So that's that's just in that one week. And do you now, have heightened concern about the flu now than we might have uh, pre-pandemic uh, times? You know, same thing. The um, 
you know, people haven't been exposed to it as much for the last few years, so right. they probably don't have antibodies, you know, as much antibody sitting around. Again, getting the flu shot is important. It will protect you even in a year where the flu shot is a bad match. Just like with the COVID vaccine now, you know, the original COVID vaccine, even though the virus has changed so much, it's that vaccine still protects you significantly from hospitalization and death, right? And the flu vaccine is the same way. Even when it doesn't match perfectly, it still gives really good protection against hospitalization and death. And that's been shown year after year after year. Right. Well, we're coming up on the holidays now, so I know people are going to want to get together with families and things. What <laughs> recommendations do you have for people who want to uh, be do this as safely as possible but still want to maintain that connection with their families yeah, and gatherings? Yeah, of course. So number one is, is be careful, right? Um, again, vaccine helps everybody, right? It, it helps protect the person who got it. It helps protect the people around them. Um, so flu vaccine, COVID vaccine, there is no vaccine for RSV yet, but there are two that probably will be approved by next season. Um, so hopefully we'll start seeing people get vaccinated for RSV. Um, and, uh, you know, in the next year or so, um, but, uh, you know, so vaccines, cough etiquette, Right. So if you have to cough or sneeze, don't cough into your hand, cough into the crook of your elbow. Okay. Wash your hands frequently to, you know, and if you're sick, you know, stay home Just say, you know, I'd love to see my family, but I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to get them sick. Absolutely. And Dr. Sims, I do want to, we have a caller from Abigail, uh, Abigail in Berkeley. Abigail, we got about a minute left. Go on. Uh, You're on Detroit today. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So I am uh, an emergency room nurse, and I work with pediatrics. I've seen a lot of kids being admitted for RSV. And then recently, I had the experience of my own five-month-old daughter being admitted to the hospital for RSV. So a lot of personal experience with this. I'm just curious if the doctor could tell me um, whether there's been any research into RSV having exchanged any genetic material with COVID. Because when I got RSV, I experienced a lot of like headache, body aches, and more symptoms that I associate with COVID or influenza. So I'm sure. curious if they are, if, if you think there might have been some crossover there. You know, I'm not aware of any. Um, it just may be that, as I said, in the last few years, we've had no, basically no exposure to RSV. So our antibody, personal antibody levels are going to be lower um, because they just go down over time. And so it may just be that the virus is hitting people harder because they just don't have the innate immunity that they normally do in a given winter season. Um, I'm not aware of any uh, ability of RSV to take on other viral components. Now, COVID, coronaviruses can do that. We haven't seen a lot of that yet. There have been cases seen in the past with other coronaviruses. Um, where it's done that. And there was actually some research about flu and coronavirus potentially combining, but it was it was all very, very uh, um, laboratory-based kind of stuff that was not, not out in nature. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of question and concern about that sort of a thing. That's why people are looking into the question. Thank um, you so much for the call, Abigail. And thank you so much for the great information, Dr. Matthew Sims, oh, infectious happy. disease expert at Corwell Health East. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Tune back in with us on Detroit Today for another great conversation tomorrow.